Um, it's funny, I was thinking as I, I was getting up here, Young Bailey took a sermon a couple of weeks ago and it was, it was really cool to see that happen. It's, it's pretty special to see young people come up and then accept that offer and, uh, and get up and do it and it takes courage and he was coming out of the car park as I got here and I could see a little bit of nerves and me because I didn't have to get up said, oh, don't be nervous mate, it's all good and <laughs> as I got closer and closer to this uh, experience the nerves start kicking in and I had to remind myself I said to Bailey, I said, when you're just talking to them, it's all right, mate, you don't have to fight them. It's not like you have to fight them. It's only, you're only talking to them. So I was trying to encourage him, but I'm trying to remind myself of the same thing. Um, today is, is certainly something that I'm not super comfortable doing. I'm not, I can speak. I find speaking fine. Um, but when it comes to, to speaking at the front of church, it, it certainly um, turns my stomach over and over. Um, so I am somewhat nervous, but um, today is more of a, I haven't preached probably for years, um, haven't been up the front to do this for years, and um, I thought for today is sort of more of a testimony sort of thing, not, not my whole story, because we haven't got the time or the, the interest sake, but um, just a little bit, I sort of entitled it Lessons Learnt, and when I say learnt, I still feel like I'm learning these lessons, but it's certainly something that has stuck out um, for me and so just so you can get a bit of an understanding of who I am and where I'm coming from. Um, my name is Hunter Ford. I was born in Tumbarumba, which is about an hour or so away from here, up towards the Snowy Mountains. Um, I'm 35 <laughs> and uh, I'm married to Steph up the back. Um, she's my beautiful wife. I have two beautiful children. I have my daughter Astrid who's waving to me. Eric is there and we have a third one coming. So that's pretty exciting. Um, since high school, I never knew what I wanted to do. My first, I remember we did um, interviews for jobs. I don't know if they still do that at school. You do like a mock interview for a job. And uh, the first one I did was security guard. I thought that's a pretty cool job. Um, you get to stand outside and look tough and <laughs> that's about it. That's about all I knew of the job too. Um, so yeah, never really knew what to do, but my dad was a, um, has been a pest controller. My grandfather was a pest controller. And uh, so with a name like Hunter, I think they were sort of setting me up and uh, I went straight into pest control as I left high school. Um, we also run a cattle farm. Um, so we sort of do a bunch of different things. Um, that's a bit of my coming out of high school, not sure what to do, so I went straight into the family trade. Um, when I was about 19 or 20, I started um, a martial art called jiu-jitsu. Um, anyone ever heard jiu-jitsu before? Yep. If you haven't, sort of think of judo, wrestling, grappling. Um, it's a rather rough sport. Ironically, jiu-jitsu translates as the gentle art. doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you see it done or, or do it, but it is translated to the gentle art. Um, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 15 years. I started teaching jiu-jitsu in about 2016 when I started my own school here in Wagga. And that's been a little bit about where I'm going today, about how the lessons that I've learned 
as a martial artist have translated and helped me really probably learn things the wrong way around about um, Bible principles and things that I probably understood or thought I understood at a surface level, but then through my experience with, with training, um, how I've got a deeper understanding. And training Jiu-Jitsu has certainly been a way for me to become a lot more mindful or a lot more introspective and sort of see who I really am under stress. And Jiu-Jitsu is certainly stressful. If, uh, if you've ever done it or ever seen it done or witnessed the Olympics, things can change in a split second. Um, it's not fun and games when it's all happening. It's you are absolutely trying your best to submit your opponent as they are trying to do the same to you. So it's definitely physical as it is mental. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a journey for me in the way that the reasons I started are no longer the reasons I do it. Uh, I was interested in martial arts always as a kid. Um, it was always a school of hard knocks. And I was a younger brother to a much bigger older brother. So finding something where you could sort of even the playing field was definitely something that drew, drew me in. Um, so that's a little bit about where I'm up to. Um, it took me about 15 years to get my black belt in jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is notorious for the length of time it takes to, to achieve your black belt. And the, the crazy part is, um, after doing it for 15 years, I feel like I know enough to know that I know very little. And um, if anyone's ever really weighed in on a profession or a hobby or something and you've done it for 15 years, do you consider yourself a master at it? Maybe. But maybe you also realise that there's so much more to this thing and you're really only just scratching the surface. And that's really where I feel. Um, the three, three to four major things that I wanted to speak about today that's really helped me um, from training it and see these things shine through from the Bible was the first one is consistency. Um, and one of the things that was really cool to see with the Pathfinder video that was just shared, how important is physical struggle? It was so cool to see that young lady say, I went through the freezing river, but I made it and I'm okay. That's so valuable to kids and to young people growing up is to go through physical stress and come out the other side and realise, wow, I didn't die. I'm okay. I'm tougher than I thought. I can, I can do this. And I think that's very, very healthy. Uh, consistency. Talent is no factor when it comes to going the distance, genetics, intelligence. None of these things will get you over the line. And um, it certainly wasn't the case for me. I definitely wasn't the smartest person in the room when I started training. Um, but I was consistent. And that wasn't, I didn't like tell myself I must be consistent. I just really liked what it was and it kept me consistent. But then the results came. Um, imagine if, if only the smart and gifted people could be followers of Christ. You know, you wouldn't feel very valuable if you didn't think you were too smart or... You know, but consistency can often be something that can keep you going. And so even when you don't feel like you're getting the results you want, keep showing up and the results come. So for me, um, once I changed my focus from results, because like, you always want results, especially when you start something. One of the, I read over COVID that one of the main reasons people quit new hobbies or new sports or new interests is that they're terrible at it. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? that you start something new and you, 
you suck at it. It's not, you're not so good at it. But um, if you give it time and you're consistent and you're dedicated, you can often get through it. Um, one of the lessons there for me was planning too far ahead or focusing on a distant goal often discouraged me because it was, it was all I could see was the effort it would take over a great period of time. Whereas if I focused on just being consistent and doing the right thing in the moment that I was in, the results came as opposed to looking way down the road. So in the moment that helped. Um, the number one reason to train in anything is to prepare yourself for when things don't go according to plan. And I think it's, a, it's important to, to find out really who you are when things go wrong. Because I think that's where it really matters. Um, one of the things I certainly learned straight out the gate from training was I was not nearly as tough as I thought I was. I'm certainly not as smart as I thought I was. Um, that's a really healthy lesson to learn, especially as a young male, is that you're not as tough as you think you are and you're not as smart as you think you are. Which, you know, I've had a lot of fun interactions with young people nowadays and even with their parents, they'll roll their eyes and say, you know, 12 going on 18 or you hear it all the time. You know, you can't tell them anything. Well, sometimes you can't and sometimes they've got to experience it and then they learn. And school of hard knocks is certainly the way I learn. Um, but yeah, the, there's a Bible verse that, that sticks out um, and it really connects to me personally. It's in Psalms 119. If you've got your Bible and you want to look it up with me, it's um, Psalms 119 and it's verse 71. <clears throat> Psalms 119 and 71 and it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And for me, that's, that's very, very true in that I've had to sort of do a bit of suffering before I've learnt things really at a, at a deeper level. Um, that's certainly one that that's stood out because um, learning things without struggle was only ever on a surface level for me. It didn't really get through the skull. I had to sort of struggle a bit first. Um, training definitely brought me to the point of panic nearly always when I first started. Uh, I didn't realise that I could get to such a, a physical state of stress with someone else. Um, at the time, my coach was very hard on me and he was a very old school guy and uh, there probably wasn't many classes in the first 12 months that I didn't vomit uh, at the end of class just from the physical stress and somewhat traumatic <laughs> experience that training was. Um, but it certainly toughened me up and it certain, certainly made me realise that I wasn't um, all that I thought I was. And funnily enough, being regularly brought to that panic point and then slowly implementing little changes mentally, I was able to distance the panic away and get a calmer thinking mind over time. But it took exposure to it. There's another verse that... that really stood out for me. It's in 2 Timothy 1.7 and it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And that verse came to me over time as, as I started to slowly deal with who I was under physical stress. And when I say who I was, I was a scaredy cat. I was, you, you get into a place where you're no longer as good as you think you are and it's very easy to quit because now I don't look as good or I'm I'm not getting the results that I thought I'd get. And it's easy to change lanes. Um, 
But that verse sort of rung in my ears that fear is not of God. Power is and love and a sound mind. And it takes exposure to yourself in who you are in those moments to see how reliant you need to be, how much value there is in prayer, and that you are not your fear, that God gave you power and gave you love and gave you a sound mind, and you're to, you're to use it. So finally enough, that lesson didn't make me more independent. It didn't make me more uh, steadfast in myself. It made me more reliant and made me see that I really did need a God and his wisdom. So yeah, 15 years of study in jiu-jitsu has shown me how little I know and uh, given me a greater respect for God's word and instruction. Second one um, that sort of rings out is humility, and I'm not saying I have it, I'm just saying I knew now, after learning this, that I needed it and that it's something that's very necessary. Humility is something that um, I don't think you just get, that you just are born with it. I think it's something that you must develop. Um, there's a saying in jiu-jitsu circles that some days you're the hammer and some days you're the nail. And if you know the expression, well, if you don't, then you know, some days you're the one doing the hammer and some days you're the one getting nailed. And it's, um, it's never nice being a nail. Um, and the drama is when you come in, you can have a lot of physical attributes that get you so far, but then eventually time technique and something else will catch up and then you're a little fish again in a big pond. Um, and what I noticed that it was very easy to appear humble when you're being beaten up by everyone um, because you haven't got a choice. If, if you're the little fish in the room and everyone else can manhandle you then it's very easy to appear humble. You're not going to walk tall and that's what's going to happen on the mats so you, it's, it's very easy to appear humble. But it's when you actually start getting better and you start getting wins that humility is actually more of a test because although you may be able to deliver a punishment there's still someone else that can deliver a punishment to you and so how you handle victory is often I think and, and it's been in my experience a much greater test of humility than actually not having the power to do anything about it um, and I think the same thing can happen in life you can there's a there's a rank system, as I mentioned, it took me 15 years to get my black belt. There's five belts in jiu-jitsu. You start on your white belt, you earn your blue belt, your purple belt, your brown belt, and then your black. And what's interesting to see play out is when a visitor comes or a new person comes to the gym and let's say they walk through the door and the first thing you recognise is their physical appearance or perhaps even their physical presence. You know, just you know, you see a big set of shoulders and you think, oh man, this is going to be a hard night. You know, and then they, and then they start telling you of all their experience as a footballer or a, or a this or a that. And you start, and you can see around the room, you watch around the room as a people are calculating how dangerous is this person going to be. And what's wonderful about jiu-jitsu is that you really can't tell. Because one of my most dangerous students that I have is about this high and looks like a jockey. And there's nothing that gives him away physically. Not even when you speak to him. He speaks very quietly. He's very respectful. And there would be nothing that would indicate that that person could fold you up like a pretzel. Uh, against your will, by the way. <laughs> um, so 
I love that that taught me that in jiu-jitsu, that I had to respect everyone because despite what my eyes were telling me and despite what my ears might be translating from what they're saying about what they've done or what I can see, what how they appear, when it came to rolling and, and, and doing jiu-jitsu, it all came out. It all came out. And so you just couldn't trust who was dangerous. And so it forces you to respect everyone, as you should anyway. And I think the same, we can do the same thing in life. We can do the same thing in church. We can walk around outside and we can see how a person is dressed, how well their hair is done, how, sh- how shiny their boots are, what car they drive, what profession they have, how well they recite Bible verses. And we can measure, and this is what I started seeing in the gym, was that people were measuring how much respect this person was worth based on how either dangerous they looked, how much experience they had. But the reality was that they should just respect everyone, treat everyone like they deserve it, because they do. First and foremost, they're a child of God. And so despite appearance, despite experience level of profession, I learned how to respect others despite what I saw. And that was a valuable lesson for me. Because it's very, very, very easy to judge. And it may not come from a sinister place, but it's very easy to do. And you can let yourself go down that path of measuring someone and measuring out how much respect or... Um, yeah, respect you're going to give that person. But they, they, they deserve it. Everyone deserves respect. Um, in Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles, this is the verses that kind of connected this for me when it came to respect. And it sort of rang true. I've heard this many, many times, this, this situation, but it, it certainly banged in my ears after these lessons sort of started to connect. It's in Matthew 25. It starts in... Verse 40, and it says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And then it goes on in 42, For I was an hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye have clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then they shall also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And so, for me, that set of verses really connected the dots, that the test for humility for me was how I treated someone that I had the power to overpower. Not the ones that I didn't, because you, you tend to respect them quite naturally. The balance shift of power makes you do that, but how do you respect someone that, that your eyes tell you a story? But this, this shows that how we treat the least and what in the things that they may not have or they may need it's no different to Christ, how we treat him. And maybe not so much treating him, but what we think of those principles and where, how much respect we give those principles. So the last one was kindness. 
and sort of slash gratitude. These two sort of really ring true for me. Kindness is something that, um, you know, how do you tell, how do you say to someone, it's really good to be kind? Because especially in, a, in, a, in, a, in today's day and age, kindness can be sort of trod on. Like you can be kind and people can take advantage of your kindness. And so we, we can get guarded about kindness. You know, how much kindness should we give because I don't want to be, I don't want that to be taken advantage of. And so we can sort of hold kindness a little bit close. Um, and I kind of learnt kindness back to front. Uh, or let's just say an appreciation for kindness back to front. Um, in order to be truly kind, I said this to Steph last night, I thought, geez, I've been thinking about this. It seems a little dark, the way I learnt kindness. <laughs> but uh, in order to truly learn what kindness meant to me, I, I had to learn how to be cruel. I had to learn how to be cruel in order to really appreciate kindness. And when you have a skill set that can render a resisting human to a point of submission and you can do it with considerable ease, the need for kindness started to come out because I could see that this could get dark. You can shift into like a dictatorial, egotistical person. And I had experienced it from people that were better than me. I had experienced it from people that had a better skill set than me. And at the time, I remember, I had been training for probably maybe four or five years. And I was starting to become a big fish in a little pond. And it was just that there was a family birthday up on the Gold Coast. And I thought, oh, it would be a great opportunity to train. Well, I go to another place, I'll go train at another gym. So I went to this other gym, and at my home gym, I was one of the highest ranked persons in the room. There was only two other people the same rank as me. When I went to this new gym, there was all the other ranks above me. And my first few roles, what we call roles or sparring rounds, I did pretty good. I held my own. I thought, oh, no different to home. It's all good. And then I met a guy called Dan, and Dan wiped the mat with me. He made me feel like I was a little kid playing with a polar bear. And nothing I did, or I should say it this way, everything I did got me in trouble. And everywhere I thought I could go to help myself, it got worse. It was the most devastating sparring sessions I'd ever had in my whole time I'd been training. I'd never been so manhandled. And what was so hurtful was that during this beating, I could look up at this guy and see that he wasn't even cracking a sweat. It was devastating. And even more devastating, he was so nice. He was so friendly. And it just destroyed me. And I remember going back home that night, well, not home, back to the, the hotel. It was very much one of those scenarios where you sit out and you're a thousand yard stare and you wonder, what am I doing with my life? I really questioned what I was doing, whether this was for me, after having such a horrible defeat. Um, but that taught me a lot of things about who I was when the chips were down and that there was still plenty of quit in my heart. And I had to decide whether I was going to go back and accept a beating and learn and get better or just change lanes and choose not to have that struggle and choose not to have that experience. Thankfully, 
Um, I had committed and told people that I would be at class the next day and I honoured my word and I went back, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, learning kindness, in that experience, Dan could have been really mean to me, could have really hurt me. But he managed to just destroy me technically and be, be my friend at the same time. And it showed me that true kindness in my heart was experienced from someone that could be actually cruel to me and chose not to be. And so that was a pretty cool lesson, was that it's, it's, it's a much greater show of kindness when you can be cruel and you don't. Because kindness can be misconstrued sometimes, I think, but when cruelness can, is an option and you choose kindness, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see and it's a beautiful thing to experience if you've experienced it. And so along with that comes gratitude. Imagine waking up, imagine waking up this morning. Imagine waking up to the only things that you thanked God for in your prayers before you went to sleep the night before. Think of that. I remember, it was only a couple of years ago, we went camping over Easter at a family farm and we have a campsite that's right on the river. And I think it was, is it Easter and then there's a break and then it's Anzac Day weekend or something like that. And I was going to go back on my own and just camp there, bit of a solo camp, <laughs> as you do. Anyway, I had all my camp set up. Everything was in place. I had food down there. I had, uh, I had timber stored away. It had been wet. It had been raining, but it was all sorted. I had my bag packed. I was keen. I was even taking videos I was going down to the creek, like how bad the weather was. And I was just stoked that I was going to be able to get down, get a fire going and have a good weekend. Anyway, I got down there and uh, the camp was destroyed. The river had broken the banks, come up, turned my tent upside down. Everything was just strewn across the campsite, underwater. And it was the most gut-wrenching feeling. Not only was my weekend ruined, but... Everything I assumed was going to be there wasn't. And it rattled me. I was just, I wanted to be angry, but you can't be angry because I couldn't do anything about it. And then I had this overwhelming flood of gratitude. And it, I'm not, it's not, I'm not trying to be corny. Like I wasn't like, oh, I'm so grateful I wasn't in there. It wasn't that. I was so grateful that I could turn around, hop in my car and go back to my parents' house where I could sleep that night in a warm, dry house. I was so grateful that I had an alternative because in the moment, had I not had an alternative, it would have been a really ugly, miserable night. So gratitude has been a lesson that I've seen play out in and on the jiu-jitsu mats. And it's interesting. You learn gratitude at a very, very small... You start right at the bottom. Because in jiu-jitsu, there's things like a... An arm lock, a shoulder lock, there's chokes <coughs> where there's compression on your neck, there's strangles where it's compression on your carotid artery so it doesn't actually hurt but you can go to sleep. So there's many different things where someone can catch you in. And what I love seeing the most is I'll watch the room and I'll watch students and I love seeing their facial expressions. I love seeing the facial expressions of nearly like ecstasy when they get victory, when they submit their opponent. And then there's this masked sadness from the person who has submitted or defeated. But one of the 
more interesting expressions I like to see is gratitude. And you'll see it from the smallest thing, where like a beginner, just as they're starting to get better at jiu-jitsu and they know what's going on, they know what's coming, and they narrowly escape a choke, but they're still in trouble. They're absolutely being destroyed, but they narrowly escape the choke, and you see this look of like, yes! And then three seconds later, they get defeated. But in that one moment, they knew they escaped it. And you, so you learn gratitude from the bottom up. Where does expectation end and gratitude begin for you? Where does expectation end and where does gratitude begin? You know, when I wake up, I assume that the lights will work when I flick them, that the water will come out of the tap, that it'll be hot when I select hot. that the roof will be intact and the walls will be up. And there are all these things that I'm assuming will be others are begging God for. And so I used to think I was a glass half full guy. You know, the glass half full, glass half empty. I was always pretty positive. Um, Jiu-Jitsu sort of made me grateful to just have a cup. <laughs> because you can... Some days you got water, some days you don't. Some days you got good things, some days bad. But to be grateful for the experience and to be grateful for the opportunity is a lesson that has um, rung true for me, especially um, over the last few years. And, and um, there's a verse in First Thessalonians 5:18 that says, "In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." And Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And they sound nice. They sound, and they roll off the tongue. It's not easy, though. And you need to experience struggle, like the Pathfinders, that went through physical struggle, and they got physically stronger from it, and mentally stronger from it. And so you learn a little bit more about how to be grateful from struggle. And so for me, as I read at the start in Psalms 119, it is good for me to be afflicted. That's definitely been the case for me. Suffering has taught me to be a better person, hopefully, and um, a more patient person and a kinder person. And um, that's been my journey so far. But um, thank you all for listening, and I just pray that as you walk through your life, and as you are introspective on the things that you're getting from the job that you do, the hobbies that you do, that hopefully you're getting the principles from the Bible and that they're shining through and that you can learn how to be a better person in your day-to-day interactions, not just from coming to church, but from interacting with someone that you might think isn't quite as intelligent as you maybe or doesn't have the profession you have, that you can respect them for the fact that they're a child of God, that you can be consistent even when the going gets tough, or even when there's more excuses than reasons to go, that you can be consistent in the little things, in praying, in being grateful for a meal, in being grateful for lights, and that you can be kind. And when you're kind, you improve everyone around you. Everyone is a little nicer by that experience. So I pray that that's your experience as well.
Let's finish um, today with our final hymn. It's Till We Meet Again. <laughs>